Well, it's great to be with you again this morning. And uh, if I haven't told you before, I love Christmas time. And I love that this year we're focusing on worship. We're focusing on worship because Christmas is all about Jesus. And as Sarah put it so well, we want to make Christmas about Him. And again, I just warmly invite you, if you want to, you want to be a Mary, you want to sit at the feet and, and actually just have a space where you can really just centre your heart and come into a place of worship this season, then I just really invite and encourage you to, to consider coming along tomorrow night, 7.30. We'd love to see you here. We're in a series, and it's really important, whenever we're doing a series, never to isolate one particular message. We've got to look at the context of the entire series. And so we're looking at a series on worship. And if you weren't here last week, we began the series by looking at one of the ways we worship God is by raising our hands. Now, you might think that this is a denominational thing. I'm in a Baptist church. It's not really what we do here. But if you go to a Pentecostal church down the road, well, that's kind of what you do. And my contention was that raising hands um, is actually really not about denominations. Um, unfortunately, we've sort of made it that. And I think we have become conditioned by the church culture in which we've grown up in. Uh, but if we actually go back to Scripture and have a look at how Scripture uh, instructs God's people to worship, it becomes very clear that raising hands is actually the, the normal way to worship and that not raising hands is, is not normal. Um, so I, I leave that with you. And if you didn't hear last Sunday's message, I really encourage you to jump onto the church's website, listen to that podcast, or if you've, got a, if you've got a smartphone, you've got the SoundCloud app, you can do that. Um, and that goes for any of our series. If you miss a message, it's important to hear it because it's always part of the bigger picture. Uh, and so last week, we kind of commenced the whole series and framed it up and spoke about one particular posture that we bring. I believe that something happens when a child reaches out to their parent. We spoke about that. When a, when a child reaches out to their father, something happens. There's a transaction that takes place between parent and child. And, and ultimately, raising our hands, even though that's what we're, not what we're talking about this morning, is it's a reflection of what's in our hearts. And that's, that's the same of all the postures that we're talking about. So we're looking at four different ways that we can worship. But all of them come back to the heart. What's actually happening in here, um, sorry, what's, what's happening externally in, in how we worship needs to be a reflection of, of what's happening in our heart. And that's what God's looking at. He's most interested in what's happening in our heart. Some people are really great at all the external stuff, but there's not a lot going on inside and, and, and vice versa. What God's interested in is our heart. But if our heart is pure and right before God and we have a, an earnest desire to seek Him, then that's going to manifest in all kinds of physical ways that demonstrates that we're worshippers. And worship is not just something we do. Worship is it's who we are. We're called to be worshippers. And we know this from Romans 12.1, where Paul in, encourages believers to bring their whole lives as a sacrifice. And so our whole life is to be lived in a manner of worship before a holy God. During this series, we are specifically focusing on the gathered worship. So when the body of Christ gathers, uh, here are some postures that are really helpful for us to embrace. We can certainly embrace these postures other times, but we want to encourage this as the gathered body of Christ. And you'll see from the image here that there are four pictures 
Uh, there's a person kneeling down. And so that particular posture is bending the knee and, and bowing, bowing the heart. And we're going to talk about that on Christmas Day. Then there's the hands raised, which I just mentioned we spoke about last Sunday. And there's the heart. And that's, that's pouring out of our hearts. And that's what we'll be looking at next Sunday, the 17th. And today, we're talking about bringing our gifts. Bringing our gifts. And we heard Gracie read the story of the, the wise men. The wise men. A story that many of us are familiar with. And this morning's not really going to be about the wise men. Uh, it's basically a catalyst for us to talk about gift giving in the context of worship. But before we get into that, I think it's important to just talk a little bit about the wise men. And I, I've really appreciated, I always do every year, I appreciate the privilege and the opportunity to spend um, ample time in these infancy narratives. Uh, the infancy narratives are primarily found in Matthew and Luke's gospel. Um, and the, the Christmas story, as we know it, is kind of is the enmeshment of those two. There are no uh, wise men in Luke's gospel. There are no shepherds in, in Matthew's gospel, for example. The two are brought together to combine what we know as kind of the infancy story of Christ. Uh, but there is actually so much in these first chapters of, uh, of Luke and, and Matthew's gospel, and I really appreciate the opportunity to spend good time meditating and, and learning about uh, what's actually going on and how the events of, of, of the birth of Christ in many respects kind of portray his whole life and his whole ministry. There is so much to learn. So with these wise men who brought the gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, when we read about these men. We know that they went on a journey, but we probably don't really appreciate the significance of the journey that they undertook. Um, they were traveling, most likely scholars believe, from Persia or what is now modern Iran. And the distance from there to Bethlehem is some, in our terms, at least 1,500 kilometers that is an almighty long journey. They're not traveling by car. I tried to Google map 1,500 kilometers um, just so we can get a bit of a picture in our mind of the distance. And um, Sydney to Adelaide is about that kind of difference. That's a significant period of, of ground to cover. And you don't travel that far. And again, this is just tradition. There's nothing in the scriptures about the camels, but tradition has it that the wise men traveled on the camels. Can you imagine traveling on a camel from Sydney to Adelaide? If there's any way that you... In fact, that sounds like a challenge that someone would, would, would do, you know, to raise funds in this day and age, wouldn't they? And if you were going to do something like that, think about the amount of planning that would need to go into place. Think about the finances that would be required just to survive uh, that kind of a journey. So it's, it's fascinating for me to think about the journey and just to actually... Think about a journey of worship, a journey towards worship. And I spoke last Sunday about the fact that we're all on a journey. <laughs> and where, where you're at on your journey may be different to where the next person is at. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that each of us just keep moving forward in our journey to worship. And the destination of our journey to worship is Jesus, the King of Kings. That's exactly where these wise men 
we're headed. And so we're all on a journey to worship the King of Kings. And there's nothing wrong about putting in effort or preparation to get to our destination. And that's what we see with these wise men. Now, these wise men, they traveled from Persia, let's say. They are known as magicians, magi, and astrologers. They were Gentiles. They were not worshippers of Israel's God. They worshipped the stars. And we read in the scripture that it was the star that drew them to Israel and ultimately to Bethlehem. And the significance of the star was that they knew that this was a royal birth had taken place. And so they travelled for, for months to get to their destination. And what I found really interesting this week was learning that they came from the, the Babylonian region in Persia. And how they would have known about the prophecies of the birth of Christ comes back to our series in Daniel. Do you remember a few weeks ago we spoke about Daniel and how um, after a period of time, the, the fourth king, I forget his name, but remember there were four kings in Daniel and the fourth king, he's not a bad king, he let some of the Israelites who'd been in exile start to return to their homeland in Judah. Do you remember that? Well, some of the Israelites chose to stay in Babylon, Daniel being one of them. They may have had positions of influence and they actually decided that it was good for them and right for them to actually be a light, to be a witness. And I think the journey of the wise men gives, gives, gives witness to that because there were people like Daniel in Babylon, in Persia, sharing the stories, sharing the prophecies. A Messiah will come, a Messiah who will rescue us from our sins. And so when the wise men saw this star, they knew about the prophecies that they had been told from the Israelites who were in exile. And we talked about what a terrible thing the exile was, but uh, this week my mind has just been blown. And I'm like, but God, you, you used this period of exile so that these random Persian kings who knew nothing of the Israelite God could come and worship you. God does work together all things for the good of those who love him, and for the worship and praise of his name. So the wise men come, and we read that they bring their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I think it's a little bit out of the scope of the scripture for us to say that the reason they chose those gifts, uh, gold because, and tradition says that gold is kind of fit for a king. We know that Jesus is a king. And tradition will say that they gave Jesus gold uh, because Jesus was a king. And frankincense was used in, in a priestly function. It's like incense, burning incense. And um, tradition will say that frankincense was given to Jesus to kind of foreshadow his priestly role, if you like. And the myrrh, um, would, which was used as an anointing balm, particularly for those who had died, uh, foreshadows or indicates the fact that Jesus had come to die. I think it's, the scriptures certainly don't tell us that. Um, I think it's a lovely idea. Um, and, and, uh, but the scriptures don't give us that sort of indication. But really what, what we need to know about these gifts, the, the important thing to note about these gifts is that these were gifts fit for a king. Okay? These were important gifts that were fit for a king. And the wise men had obviously pre-decided, they'd predetermined some time before they arrived that they needed to bring gifts that were fit for a king. 
and that's what they did. And so when we come to worship our king, the same king, Jesus, we also have the opportunity to bring our gifts, to bring what we can that is fit for a king. Now, there are many different things that we bring to worship. Um, When we come to worship, we can bring our service. And there are many among us who come and serve, who use the talents and the gifts that God has given to be able to serve Him. And that may be one of the gifts that we bring as our service. You might be a welcomer at the door. You might be preparing communion. You might be on a prayer roster or a Bible reading roster. You might be part of our our music and worship team. This is a, a, a tangible way of bringing our gifts, and that's one of the ways that we can worship. We can bring um, a joyful heart, can't we? The, the, the spirit, the attitude in which we come to worship is important. And we can actually bring a gift to God by coming with ready hearts to worship Him. When you come with a ready heart to worship God, that is a, a blessing. And that in and of itself is a gift to God. And it's a gift to your brothers and sisters because we're actually, we, we worship together for a reason. We are not just a group of individuals. It has always been God's plan for God's people to worship Him together. And that's so important. We spoke about that. I've spoken about that many times. There are times when you may be at a weak point, and that's when your brothers and sisters are there to lift you up and encourage you. We, we journey together. We worship God together. You might bring a gift of encouragement You might be someone who has the gift of encouragement and you don't know that what you're going to say to someone this morning is the very thing that's going to get them through the week. You know, you don't know what your presence and your word, how that's going to minister to someone. And so please don't discount the gift of encouragement. And and maybe some of you come with an intentional gift of encouragement. You might come with a little card or you might actually... You might, you might have listened to Pam's beautiful sharing this morning. Wasn't that so heartwarming, what she shared? And you might go and encourage her after the service. And you might say, gosh, I love it when you lead worship, Pam. Thank you so much. Keep at it. We need it. You know, that's a beautiful word of encouragement that's going to just build her up. Or you might go to one of the other musicians and say, I just love the way you, you play that instrument. It really just enables... You know, so you might have that, 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 that gift of encouragement. Um, another thing that we can bring, and this is what we're going to really focus in on this morning, is our, is our tithes, our offerings, our monetary gift. Uh, it would be no surprise to you that every Sunday we receive an offering. We receive um, a monetary gift. And this monetary gift, which many of you have already pre-given during the week electronically, which we're so thankful for. It's a really helpful way um, for us to receive those funds. But the, the giving of your monetary gifts enables ministry and mission. And that's an important aspect of our worship. And I think that many of us, have, I'm sure, can relate to the fact that this is probably one of the more mindless acts of worship, particularly if we're doing direct debit, it can become something that just kind of happens and we're not even aware of it happening. Um, but it's a re- and we, as a worship team, we've been, we've been really intentional to frame the way we talk about receiving the offering. 
we don't just say, we're going to take up our offering. We intentionally say, we're going to continue to worship our Lord and God by bringing our tithes and our offerings. Because it is an act of worship. It is an act of obedience, yes, but it is an act of worship to bring our tithes and our offerings. Why do we do this? Why do we bring our tithes and our offerings to worship? Well, as I mentioned, it's, it's an act of obedience, but it's an act of worship. It's an expression of our heart that we trust God with our finances. We trust God with our finances. And that's a, a really tangible place, uh, sometimes a challenging place to trust God, isn't it? We can trust God with all kinds of things, but trusting God with our finances is something that some of us find a little bit more testing than others. Now, we probably all, or I'm sure we've all heard the word tithe before. What is the definition of a tithe? Well, a definition of the tithe is 10%, a tenth. But the biblical definition of a tithe is not just any 10%, right? It's the first 10%. And there's a difference. There's a difference between the first 10% and the last 10%. You might do all of your calculations and your budgets. You might still have 10% left over to give to God. But that's the wrong mindset. A biblical tithe is saying, God, I'm going to give you the first tenth of what you've given me. It's putting God first. It's making him number one. It's prioritizing God with our money. And that is an important act of worship. So the, and, and in the Old Testament, I'm sure as many of you would know, the first 10% is called the first fruits. It's the best it is the best of what God has given. Another way of looking at the tithe is rather than saying, I've got to give God 10%, is saying, God has so generously given me 90%. It's a really helpful way of looking at our finances, isn't it? When we, when we joyfully give to the Lord 10% of what he has given to us, we are demonstrating, as Psalm 24 one says, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So it's, it's God's in the first place. It's, it's not ours. It's his. And we're just, we're just giving back a portion of what he's already given us to demonstrate that we trust in him. As I mentioned, the natural inclination for us uh, is to kind of make sure that all of our bases are covered first and then we will give to God what's left. The problem with this is, firstly, it removes genuine gratitude. The opportunity to show genuine gratitude. I just want you to imagine that you've received an income, some kind of money. And the first thing that you do by tithing or by by setting aside an amount for the Lord is demonstrating a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. But the other thing that it does, when we set aside the first fruits, that first 10% for the Lord, what it does is it demonstrates a spirit of trust. I'm going to trust you, God, that the 90% that remains is exactly what I need in abundance because you're a generous and a good 
God, and I know that you're going to provide for my needs. Jesus, as we know, grew into a man, and these were his own words. He told us that God is faithful, that God is our provider. We're reading Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You see, God's desire is for every believer to give 10% of their earnings, not just so they can check it off their to-do list, but so that our hearts remain positioned towards Him. As I mentioned earlier, we've just got to keep bringing it back to the heart. Psalm 51 says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Now, it's worth noting at this point that the practice of tithing is absolutely an Old Testament principle and practice. But Jesus affirms the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. And so many Christians and New Testament believers believe and affirm that Jesus is saying this is a good practice and you continue it. So the tithe is still a valid expression of worship for us today. That being said, The New Testament is far more concerned about the heart and it does not want a rigid approach to worship. And as I said, for some of us, we might be giving 10%, but maybe we're doing it just to tick a box. Um, God is actually more concerned about what's happening in our heart. And the New Testament is also really concerned about the generous spirit, the generous spirit that we're responding to God in generosity because of his generous response to us. I don't think the New Testament is as caught up on the percentage. It's really more interested in what's happening in our heart. I think many would say that the tithe is actually a really great place to start. But if anything, the New Testament challenges us and urges us to consider going beyond. Well, what should be our motivation for tithing? I think there are, there are several legitimate reasons why we should be motivated to tithe. But there's kind of one that stands above the rest. And when you really break it down, we tithe because we love. We tithe because we love. Love gives. Love in its, its purest form gives. It gives of the self. Think about how much pleasure it gives you and is going to give many of you the joy of giving a gift to someone at Christmas time that you've spent time thinking about what this person would really enjoy and appreciate, what would put a smile on their face. And you've made the effort to go and purchase that gift or make that gift or whatever it is, give this person this particular experience to show them that you love them. Love gives. Think about the best, one of probably the best known Bible verse in the whole world, John 3.16. 
For God loved the world so much that he gave. He loved, he gave. He loved, he gave. Our giving is a response to our loving. We give because we love, and we know that God has loved us first. God loved the world so much that he not only gave, he didn't give gold, frankincense, and myrrh, he gave his son, his one and only son. God gave everything for us, and therefore our giving is a response to his giving. God looked at creation, and he could see that people and God were separated because of sin. And so he gave his son Jesus to be a sacrifice and to make a way for people to be friends with God, to be in right relationship with God. So, friends, our giving needs to come from that motivation of love, of acknowledging God's goodness to us in Jesus and responding to that in kind. Are you a hesitant giver? Are you a hesitant giver? Are you a skeptic when it comes to giving? Some of you may be. And that's okay, as I mentioned earlier. We're all on a journey. So I just I want to be really generous with where you're at on your journey. What we're seeking to do during this series is just open up the Scriptures and lay out what the Bible has to say about how we worship God. You might be someone who's just totally on board, completely sold. I, 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 you know, I'm, you're singing, you're preaching to the choir, Joel. That is great. You may be on the other end of the spectrum. I hate it when I go to church and I hear about giving. We don't talk about it very much in this church at all. Uh, but even when it does come up, it may, it may just make you cringe and, and whatever. That's okay. You're welcome here. There's room for you here too. Because we're all on a journey and my encouragement to you is wherever you are on your journey, just keep moving forward to the goal of worship, Jesus the King. Just keep moving forward towards Jesus. And the closer you get to him, the more pure your worship will become. And what a beautiful thing for us to be a people who worship God from pure hearts, motivated by love. So you might be hesitant. That's okay. I have heard, though, hesitant people say, um, my tithe is my time. I give my time. That's my tithe. And I just wanted to address this particular uh, response because I, it just doesn't sit well with me. I, I think it's a little bit of a cop-out because it's not one or the other. It's God wants all of us. He wants our whole lives. And yes, many of us give our time, but that's, that's what you do in a family. You're going to be part of a family. You're going to need to kind of get involved and, and help, if you like, with the running of the household. Uh, and so when we give of our time, we're being part of the family. But giving our tithe is actually a separate matter to giving our time. Now, for those who would say that I give my time as my tithe, please hear me. Your time is so valuable. And for, in fact, I think for a lot of people in today's age, time is more valuable than money. I think a lot of people have more money than they have time. And so, in fact, for some of you, your time may, in fact, be a greater sacrifice than your money. 
Hear me, hear my heart on this. This is not some pitch to try and revenue raise. It's really not. And it's completely coincidental, or maybe it's a, a God incidence, that I happen to be speaking on this the day that we present the 2018 budget. That was not planned. This series was planned more than 12 months ago. And I didn't know that this Sunday we present our budget. And in fact, we were meant to do our budget in November, but we decided to push it back. We wanted to keep that specifically for the service time change. So it, it, it certainly hasn't been planned that way. So this is not about revenue raising. This is about each one of us taking that journey of worship closer towards the Lord. So really, this, this is just, please let me say, this is between you and God. This is just between you and God. And you go to God about this. And I appreciate that particularly, perhaps for some, uh, you might be in a, a relationship or a context where one person is a believer and another isn't, or one of you comes to church and another... Well, that's a... You know, I think in that instance, I want you to honour your husband or your wife first and, uh, and just trust God in all of that. So I don't want anyone here feeling any pressure. I just want you to go on a journey of worship and, and see where God takes you. Now, I don't endorse or subscribe to prosperity teaching when it comes to tithing. Uh, I've heard all kinds of stories, as I'm sure you have, about people who have given a little bit or given out of, you know, the little that they had, and then God went on to bless them with this amazing thing, and they went on to, be, to do great things. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for those stories, and I, I believe in them, and uh, I'm not discrediting them. But I was thinking this week, how often do we hear the story of the person who gave it all and never got anything back? We never hear those stories, and yet I'm sure that they're probably more commonplace than the reverse. And it's not to say that God doesn't bless us. He does. But often God blesses us in ways contrary to how we think we need to be blessed. The other thing that I've discovered this week is that so much of the teaching in Scripture that talks about God blessing the first fruits is an instruction given to the entire community. It's not given to one individual. So as the community is faithful, as the community collectively pulls its resources together, God will bless the work and the ministry of that community. And this excites me. And this is what our meeting after the service is all about. It's how can we collectively do God's work in this place here in Erina. And finances is, is one, but many tools that God will use but an important tool nonetheless. And whilst I'm not particularly excited about dollars and cents, I'm excited about the ministry opportunities that they can provide. And that's what's important. Bringing our first fruits to God is an act of obedience. It's also an act of trust. Ultimately, it's about where our heart is. Now, the reason why I mentioned about prosperity teaching is because I just want to share with you this proverb to, to wind things up, which really took me aback this week. Many of us would be familiar with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. It's a very popular uh, portion of Scripture that for many Christians is kind of a favourite. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, 
Submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now in the context of this verse of trusting the Lord with all our hearts and leaning not on our own understanding, Solomon goes on and says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This word honour essentially means to worship, to adore. It means to praise. Honour, worship the Lord with your wealth. Bring your gifts. Brothers and sisters, when you come to worship, bring your gifts. Worship God with your, mon- with your money. Don't lean on your own understanding. Tithing 10% of your income, regardless of how meagre or significant your income may be, makes no sense from a worldly perspective. You will not find a financial advisor who's going to tell you that tithing to the church is the first and most important thing you need to do. But from a kingdom perspective, God's economy, it makes perfect sense. There is so much good. The church universal has been able to do and will continue to do to bless and provide for others so that they may hear the good news of Jesus Christ through the generous, obedient giving of God's people. Give God your best. Give him your first fruits and trust him to be your provider. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we ask that in your presence you would do a work in our hearts. God, that giving wouldn't be something that we just do. But as we've spoken about this morning, it would be a reflection of what you have done for us. Help us to be a people who are on journey towards you, Jesus, worshipping you. Now, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace. As Pam said earlier, and I just believe that your spirit is just working through today's service so beautifully. We come as we are, and you love us, and you accept us. Thank you that wherever we are at on that journey, we are accepted and we are loved. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Move us as a church. Move us as individuals to be generous in all that we do, recognising that it is truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence with us and we thank you for your son and for the privilege of giving back something to you because of all that you have given to us. In Jesus' powerful, wonderful, majestic name we pray. Amen.